0: Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Libby Machan and Daniel Nelson, co-founders of Fulton. Fulton is modernizing arch support, starting with an insole that is comfortable, supportive, and sustainable. While other insoles are made with unsustainable gels, foams, plastics, Bolton does things differently. Between their moldable cork, the cactus leather, the rubber latex foam, all of the materials they use are plant-based. And it's not just for sustainable sense. It has these massive functional benefits, right? Cork is not just carbon negative, but it's shock absorbing and it molds to the unique shape of your foot for ultra custom support. And in the episode, Libby, Daniel, and I will discuss what exactly sparked the initial idea for Fulton, prototyping the first Fulton insoles, and why Portugal ended up being the perfect place for manufacturing, who they think their perfect partnership would be, whether it's a creator, an athlete, you'll hear that in the episode. And finally, some of the big product plans that Daniel and Libby are thinking about for the future of Fulton. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Daniel and Libby, co-founders of Fulton. Daniel and Libby, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: thanks for having us.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you both for waking up at the crack of dawn. I want to start with the basics. So whichever one of y'all want to take the mic, what is Fulton.
2: Fulton is a modern brand of arch support. Our first product is a comfortable, sustainable, and supportive insole. Um, and we're just aiming to educate consumers on the importance of proper arch support on alignment and full body wellness.
0: I want to actually double click deeper into the broader impetus behind Fulton. Y'all are the first people... That I've met that have focused on the problem set that is feet and how it perpetuates pain across the body at large. So if you can, if we take a step back, what was the crux, the Eureka moment that brought you both together to build Fulton?
2: Yeah, so the idea behind Fulton started a few years ago, I was experiencing back pain as a result of just sitting at my desk job for many hours of the day. I was treating it very proactively. I was doing things like foam rolling or massages, or taking painkillers, very much treating the symptoms and not the cause. And so I went to a chiropractor and the chiropractor suggested insoles. And I never thought about insoles as a solution for my back pain. Like you don't really think about your feet when you're trying to treat your back. But he explained that posture starts from the ground up, and your feet affect your knees, which affect your back. And most shoes don't have proper arch support, and that results in misalignment, which was causing my pain. And I believe this. I was excited about the solution. But the custom orthotics that he offered were $500. And that was much more than I was willing to spend because I didn't really feel like my achy back warranted a $500 solution like it didn't feel like a medical problem it was just an achy back so instead I went to the drugstore I found myself looking at this wall of brands like Dr. Scholl's and other super geriatric medical brands that were super unrelatable to me and uncool and they just didn't yeah they didn't feel right and then on top of that there were all these words like bunions and plantar fasciitis and heel spurs like other things that Weren't really problems I was trying to solve, and I felt like I couldn't find yeah a a, pro- a product there that matched my needs as a consumer. And on top of that, eventually, like learning that most of these products are made from gels and foams, which are super unsustainable and also not very effective. Like they're comfortable and squishy, but they're not actually that supportive. So long story mm-hmm. short, I just didn't feel like there was a product there for me and then a few weeks later maybe I met Daniel at Welcome Weekend for business school and I shared the idea with him and Daniel, related you related to it in a different way.
1: Yeah, I actually I hadn't even worn insoles until I met Libby. My only experience with them was seeing my father and my sister wear them. My dad had these super old leather custom orthotics that he moved from shoe to shoe and we always made fun of him for being an old man. And my sister, she wore this like super bright green pair of styrofoam running insoles and was not a runner, but I needed the arch support. And that was all the market offered. So when I was talking to Libby about insoles, it just, that was the eureka moment for me. I was like, huh, who is this market really made for? Who's actually wearing insoles? And I had a pretty bad recurring foot pain. Like I lived in New York, I did a ton of walking and it was always this chronic nag, never bad enough to go to a, an actual doctor and get some something taken care of, right? Like the surgery, medication, et cetera, but always just a nuisance. And I started wearing insoles, tried basically every pair out there and was like, all right, I, I think it's time this, this market has, has seen its day. Um, but yeah, so when Libby and I met, I think it was just this moment where we came together and we were like, okay, we're not podiatrists, but there's definitely a problem and so let's go out and solve it and i think a lot of that summer after we met we just spent doing research and learning learning as you mm-hmm. mentioned about the the feet right it's such a weirdly overlooked part of the body and it's not the sexiest body part but it's like biomechanically extremely important as we learned from all the doctors and and engineers that or biomechanical engineers that we spoke to. A lot of them basically said the feet is like the foundation of the body. So like the foundation of a house, if it's not well supported, the rest of it isn't going to stay intact too long or too well. And thinking about your life and the millions of steps you're going to take in it, you should probably support yourself in your feet, to really help maintain the rest of your body over the long you know, span of however long you might live. And mm-hmm. those kinds of insights that we were hearing were just like, hold up. There is a really weird messaging issue beyond just a product issue and got us really excited about that aha kind of moment and opportunity that we saw ahead of us.
0: The interesting part of every founder's journey here is actually this junction between you realizing that the problem exists and then trying to manifest that Eureka into a prototype or some type of version one. When I was digging into how y'all build the product, I noticed Porto Portugal as the source of manufacturing. And of all of the founders that would be had in the show, this is the first time I've heard that as the location of manufacturing. So I'd love to hear Maybe debrief a little bit about how y'all put together the prototype for an insole. It sounds like I have no idea how you'd go from this like inkling of an idea to something physical and then why Portugal ended up being an answer to that. Yes.
1: Uh (laughs) Love that question. Let's get into it. We basically looked at every insole in the market and we just tried to understand what was it before we even thought about building our own. And so I remember we went on Amazon, we went to the drugstore, the running store, the chiropractor, the podiatrist, we went everywhere and just sourced every type of insult we could just to understand like how they worked, what they looked like, what the point was. And I think we had two really big takeaways. The first was it was really confusing to buy an insole. There were a lot out there that were just like made for people with high arches or flat feet or bunions or metatarsalgia, plantar fasciitis, all these conditions and types of walking that I think most people don't even really understand if they have or not unless they get some professional help. And that was sort of a confusing market angle. And from a product point of view, I think we saw that they were incredibly unsustainable. That would be the first one. They were made from polyurethane, EVA, all these different types of foams, styrofoams, plastics that were really either super rigid or super soft, but also didn't really accommodate people, I think, the way they wanted to. We heard a lot of complaints and actually felt a lot of pain from trying some of these insoles that didn't really match with us. So what did we do? We took a step back and we're like, all right, great. If we had a dream insole, how would it look? I as a consumer don't really know if I have a flat foot or a high arch or a medium arch most of the time. Some people do. But we were Yeah, we want an insole that kind of just put we put in our shoe and it works for us. And we were like, great, how do we get that? I think Libby actually had the idea of cork. And she basically wore these sandals every day over the summer. They were called corkies. And she loved them because even though she had these pains, you know, in her back, she didn't need to wear insoles in the summer because she had her corkies. And so we had the the loose connection that like cork molds the shape of your foot. And if it molds the shape of your foot, it can better support your body. And so we thought of some other comps like Birkenstock. And there are a few out there, these sandal manufacturers that make comfortable sandals. And that's the reason why. So then we were like, great, we can take this cork product and put it in an insole, so where do we find cork? And if you've ever been to Porto, you'll know that the city is basically run by cork, the whole country of Portugal. Half the world's cork is harvested in Portugal and they make into so many different types of products like handbags and obviously wine stoppers, backpacks, everything. Cookware. Cork just runs the world. And for us, it was like the obvious destination to go to and try to find a manufacturer. And we did that right before COVID. I think it was three months before COVID. We actually flew out there, went to a bunch of manufacturers, found one that was willing to partner with us and actually helped us co-design it. We went through about 10 iterations of the insole. The first few gave me a lot of blisters, but they were (laughs) worth it (laughs) to get the learnings of how to actually make an insult the right arch shape, the right heel stabilization capabilities, the right length so we don't get toe blisters, all these different things you don't realize have to go into it. And we took a very tech approach where we just tested and learned and then iterated and repeated. So we basically just did that until we were at the point where we could run a pilot. We actually sold them. We did like a pay-as-you-wish pilot and sold about 250 pairs to, I guess, mostly, not even mostly friends and family, but a lot of friends and family and like their friends and family. So the extended network that we had got some feedback and went in for the final product after that. Yeah, it was a really iterative process, but we had this hunch of a problem, an idea, a vague idea for what a solution might look like. And then honestly just iterated our way there and and learned a ton along the way.
0: One of the pretty challenging parts from now that we have product in hand, we're proud of what we can actually introduce to market. It's coming to some consensus on how much y'all want to produce in this first purchase as the games guy over here that's like a recurring theme every new title we introduce there's this overarching anxiety that you don't want to just be owning inventory that's sitting there yep. so i'd love to hear from y'all's perspective launch is coming up i can see y'all launched a few months ago what's some of the thinking that went into a de-risking that launch right figuring out how much inventory makes sense trying to blast this out of the gates. What are some of the kind of like behind the scenes inner workings that went into de-risking the launch for Fulton?
1: Yeah, I, I can start with maybe the op side and Libby, maybe you could talk a little about. Marketing. I I think from the ops side, yeah, I think we knew we'd be wrong, right? Like from an inventory point of view, we we use the pilot to get a sense of what we thought the distribution might be, because we have 14 different sizes. So we have a bunch of women's sizes, a bunch of men's sizes. They all correlate with shoe sizes. We wanted to keep it very simple for customers, but obviously it's much harder to predict who's going to be buying what. And so we used our pilot sizes, which said that the most popular sizes would be men's 10 and women's seven. So we ordered obviously the most of those. And it turns out the most popular sizes for our customers was men's 11 and women's 8. And so <laughs> <laughs> what happened there was I'm sitting there shipping everything out of my apartment. Libby's helping me pack and, and get everything ready for customers getting ready to go. And we're sitting there, oh my God, we are going to stock out really soon. So we call the manufacturer and we're like, hey, we're going to need some more. And he's like, great, the lead time is going to be two months. And we're like, no, we're two weeks in and <laughs> we need more. God. We are going to stock out. And so we basically, we only ordered about 500 pairs the first time because we had obvious space constraints that shipping out of an apartment. There's only so much you can store. But you know that really kickstarted us to search for a, a warehouse, really understand our lead times a bit better. We were able to get him down to a much quicker turnaround. And we were able to do things like airship, which even though they were more expensive, were able to help us accommodate. But I think going into it, Libby and I knew we were going to be wrong. We just had to start somewhere. And so every order mm-hmm. we've placed since has been a close step better to our true distribution. And I, I think that was something we just knew we would have to deal with on the floor. We ended up stocking out of about half of our sizes in that first month. So although it was great, yeah, it was great from like a business angle, it was horrifying from an operations angle and definitely kept me up and yeah, <laughs> learning experiences at the least. I love it.
2: Yeah. And I guess sort of building off of that, I think one Thing that we've been very fortunate through this entire process is just like being in the Wharton Network and having a lot of recent alumni be founders of consumer startups. So we have so many different people, shout out to Avrani and Remedy that we are constantly going after and asking for advice and like, how do we do this? What should we expect? And as far as like launch expectations, a lot of them are like, don't over order inventory. Like your first few months, it's just going to be your mom and your grandma that are ordering from you. So we were a little bit jaded with the like in, in terms of thinking about the first the the, the beginning. And we didn't wanna be disappointed. So I think we tried to limit our expectations. I think we were definitely surprised and happy by the impact of the launch. But another thing is we decided that we wouldn't spend too much money when we launched because we didn't fully understand the message that we were sending and we didn't know what creative would be best. So we wanted to wait and iterate. But one thing that we did to get the word out that I thought was like super effective is we used some like shady tool to scrape our emails. I and mean, basically scrape our email addresses to collect every person that we've emailed in the past like few years. And that really adds up. And mm-hmm. so what we did is to every single person, we sent this mass email being like, hey, we just started a company, it's launching today. You don't need to buy a pair, but we've attached these images, um, these, like, cool – we developed, like, stories, basically, for posting on social. If you post this on social, that would mean so much to us. And that just developed so much hype. There were just hundreds of people that were posting this imagery of Fulton on Instagram and Facebook. Yeah, so I think that really helped, like – helped there be, like, a big mm-hmm. bang the first day.
0: hmm Quick question. Why Fulton? What's the inspo behind the name?
2: Daniel, you want to make that one?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, Fulton is New York City, right? Fulton Street. That was really the inspiration. Libby and I are New Yorkers. I'm from Manhattan, Libby's from Brooklyn, and Fulton Street actually runs through both. Our brand is meant to be a walking casual. New York-based brand. It's not meant to be like a lot of the other insole brands, which are either super medical heavy or super outdoors hiking or running heavy. I think we really wanted to take some inspiration from a lot of the other direct-to-consumer types of companies that we were sort of learning from and watching grow and really building them into our own in the industry. And for that, it was walking on the concrete sidewalks of New York City That's where people are getting body pain from and not realizing that they should be doing something preventative like wearing insoles. So it's basically a a brand that sort of has the everyday person in mind going about their daily routine who all they need to do is slip an insole in and they'll be doing something for their wellness that day.
0: Yeah, I'm looking into some of your writing as well on the Learn page. First of all, love the aesthetic, but also just so cheeky. I love the latest Mm -hmm. posts about stretches for lower back pain relief. It's just someone going up and down on a yoga mat. Mm -hmm. It's like super animated. But (laughs) I think there's an opportunity there that for, at least in my experience on social, has been largely overlooked. There's this massive gap, but at least an information gap for people my age, right, late 20s, where you get like short, Really cheeky looking graphics that say, Hey, if you're having this type of pain or you're doing this in your day to day, here's a solve. So, I'm curious as y'all think about social and building Fulton into this kind of source or gravity for info to help people live and feel better. How do y'all think about the opportunity there?
2: Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, I think it was very easy for us to become the coolest brand of insoles just because the options are pretty bleak. And I think we've done that effectively. And we've already seen like consumers really relating to us and being like, wow, this is the product, this is the brand that I need. The next phase for us is really building out that blog and becoming like a source of information also because it, like things like plantar fasciitis or pronating or like misalignment, all these different foot problems are so common in, in young people and no one talks about it and mm-hmm. no one really knows how to solve it so we really want to like invest in building out our blog to be a resource for people trying to find answers and trying to understand like how to solve their pain not only in their feet but also in their knees and their hips and their back and i i had this experience of absolutely not knowing what arch support was and mistreating my back and wearing bad shoes and we would love to stop that. We always talk about big footwear and how big footwear is killing our bodies and mm-hmm. we yeah, we would love to just help people be more proactive in terms of taking care of their wellness and see a big opportunity to do that through a blog and through customer education.
0: But that's an interesting point. In classification, big footwear. How is big footwear killing our bodies?
2: Yeah, if you just take out the insole, the standard insole in your shoe that they put in, it's like generally a piece of very thin foam with no support at all. And I think people don't necessarily, don't realize that that this is causing pain in their body, or maybe it's not causing pain in their body, but it's actually just causing them to walk in a weird way that they don't feel right now. But- they'll feel in five or 10 years. And shoe companies are focused so much more on design and aesthetics and sometimes like performance in terms of just like being the lightest shoe and overlook things like proper arch support because people don't care about it and people don't care about it because they don't know it's important and they don't know it's important because no one's talking about it. Mm -hmm. So right now we think, yeah, big footwear is causing all this pain throughout our bodies.
0: It sparks... Just a random idea in my head that I'm sure both of y'all have considered deeply, which is creating a shoe that comes with an insole that is by default, like (laughs) great for you, which leads me to my next question, which is as y'all think about the opportunities for Fulton over the next few years, is this one of them? Like how does Fulton expand beyond the insole? Over the next few years,
1: yeah, I, I think you're right. After the moonshot is that we think everyone should be wearing supportive footwear, and whether it's putting an insole in, and there are lots of different types of shoes that we can be making insoles for that we have a pretty well fleshed out roadmap for, or whether that's actually a shoe that comes with you know fault and arch support built in. You just wear the shoe, molds to the shape of your foot. I think they're all things that we're thinking about and the market is large, right? Everybody wears shoes, everyone has multiple pairs of shoes and everyone needs art support. So it's just like perfect little blend of if we take this company to its logical conclusion, there's a really big opportunity at hand for us to basically just get people talking about a wellness brand of footwear. It's a whole different company to build a footwear brand than it is an insole brand for a million reasons, including much more complex supply chains, materials required, even different messaging, styles, designs, things like that, that obviously within insole you don't have. But it's definitely something that Libby and I are pressure testing with our customers and seeing, hey, what do you want next? We're Mm -hmm. not being presumptuous and saying this is exactly what everyone wants. It might just be partnering with a big footwear and pushing them towards sustainable solutions that are also good for people's bodies and just being the brand that helps them. There's already one out there called Ortholite. And unfortunately, they're not focused on arch support, but they're really focused on getting in every shoe manufacturer. And so if you look at your Nike, your Adidas, your Puma, etc., you pull out the insole, sometimes they're co-branded with Ortholite. And that's just because they provide super, super cheap insoles. But it doesn't mean there can't be a player like that for supportive insoles. So Uh I think, you know, you're pretty spot on in in where we think we're headed, which is just getting in as many shoes as we can, but definitely letting our customers guide us on how, how they want us to do that.
0: Yeah, I, you know, as you were talking about this, it sparked a tangential idea, which is at first it was surprising to me that shoe brands don't upsell customers with custom insoles if i'm checking out on one of their websites it feels like a unique upselling opportunity to say hey add a fulton insole or some insole to checkout." but my guess is it's probably for them potentially compromising right because now the customers like, wait is your shoe just not designed for comfortable wear <laughs> i'm curious have y'all explored Distribution opportunities in that channel in any sense?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a catch 22 in that sense. I think that we look at the market that way as well. We've seen from the conversations we've had with other people in footwear that it might sort of ruin their brands by associating with us, at least at this stage. But I do think mm-hmm. that at their core, most shoe manufacturers know that people wear custom orthotics. There is a market for that. They understand that people need more arch support. So maybe with the right messaging and the right partnership and and talking about if we build the brand around wellness in footwear, and then it looks good for them to be able to partner with us. And again, that that takes time for us to achieve sort of our vision of, of growing and getting to a place where we have that brand, that's a bit more well known. But I think that yeah, down the road it's something we could do. Even if today we might be seeing, oh, you think that you're making our really expensively designed, researched and thought out shoe better. What do you know? But tomorrow, I think it could be like, (laughs) oh, by the way, add this on for a few extra bucks. And you can add wellness to your shoe versus going to the chiropractor or going Mm -hmm. to the podiatrist and spending 10x more. So I think that messaging will take some time to kick in. But it's definitely something that we hope and aspire to sort of achieve with the right brand partners down the road. Another
0: question for both of you is around the broader state of affairs that is footwear today. So I think it'd be helpful to give the listeners a sense of what the impact of big footwear is on the world today. And then how does Fulton compare? How does Fulton win on emissions, materials, and sustainability at large?
1: Yeah, footwear is a beast. (laughs) I think the year before COVID, there were, I think, 20, over 20 billion pairs of shoes produced. And that's a lot of shoes, but most, the vast majority, 99 plus percent are not sustainable. So they end up either in landfills or just in places that you don't really want to find used footwear and not really doing any anything good for the environment. Actually, the, the entire footwear industry as a whole accounts for about 1.4% of global carbon emissions. And, It might not sound like a ton, yeah, but when you contextualize that with an an industry like the airline industry, which is about 2% of global carbon emissions, that 1.4% seems pretty huge. And it it really comes from everything, you know, the materials that are sourced to use the footwear, actually making the footwear. They make it internationally, often in China or, or other Southeast Asian countries. And basically, that massive global supply chain and all the way through the end of life, it's just devastating. I think Albers really sounded the alarm for that in 2016 back when they launched and got a lot of people looking about, looking into footwear and, and thinking about how it's very silent, but very harmful. And a lot of the brands there really started taking more serious initiatives, thinking about how we go beyond greenwashing and into actually leveraging sustainable materials doing R&D in sustainable materials, and really thinking about the entire life cycle of a product. So yeah, Fulton is definitely trying to take a different approach into that market and and think very much about wellness and footwear, but also really make sure we we carry those sustainability values forward as we...
0: Just to to double click into there, because I think it's important to highlight the material makeup of Fulton versus the traditional insole or shoe, so what are the key ingredients or puzzle pieces that make up the Fulton insole?
2: Yeah, so that's something that we're super excited about and we really spent a long time developing and and researching it is what are the best materials. At first we were like, maybe we should just use whatever's out there, like whatever other insole brands are using, but if you look at most products, they are just like gels and foams and styrofoams and plastic. so we decided not to use those. And really Daniel, and I became like, engineers, I don't know, material scientists for a few months and tested so many different things. But what we're, we got to we're really happy with, so the bottom is cork, which is this material that we're obsessed with carbon negative. So it's actually good for the environment to use it. It's the cork, sorry, it's the bark of a tree. And it's super shock absorbing, antimicrobial, like all these amazing benefits. And then on top of that is a layer of natural latex foam, which also comes from the sap of a tree. And the top layer is really cool. It's this vegan leather that's made from cactus, which is also carbon negative. We get it supplied in Mexico and then import it to Portugal. So yeah, that the vegan cactus leather is also something really special, and, and we're the first we were the first people to use it in footwear.
0: Wow, yeah, this is, these are the the details. More customers are going to start prioritizing as they make decisions. Daniel brought up. The example with Allbirds, a shoe that I've been wearing recently, the Karyuma, mm-hmm. I believe yeah. leans into cork as one of their key ingredients uh, or puzzle pieces. And just the three pieces that y'all just highlighted are examples ABC in why Fulton is just so much more of an interesting and values aligned option versus everything else that's available
1: today. There, there really is no comparison. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing is there's a functional benefit. Let me mention a bunch of those different features, but you know, cork being able to mold to the shape of your foot and, and make it feel like it's your shoe or your insole is something that no other material can do. And, and so looking at a sustainable products as something that is not only good for the planet, but also functionally differentiated from everything else out there, makes it really appealing and hopefully should increase the speed at which things like this are actually adopted and taken in by consumers. My, my
0: last question for you around distribution and getting the product out is you're thinking around online versus offline. Obviously, now it makes sense when you're just getting started to focus on online channels, but to what extent is retail interesting to you in the short term? like getting into pop-ups, partnering with some indie shops or athletic stores. How are y'all thinking about offline over the next, you know, 12-24 months?
2: Yeah, we definitely see it as a big opportunity. I think right now we're in our first pop-up, which is Naked Retail in uh, Nolita, and that's been really great for us and a cool brand moment and a good opportunity also to just have a new customer that we weren't exposed to necessarily. But I think generally we really do see retail as a big opportunity and one that we're, we're going to try leaning into, especially just because right now, when you think about the way that people are shopping for insoles, it's not online. It's like they go typically into a drugstore or they're going to their podiatrist's office and that's how they're learning about it. Changing that We don't necessarily want to be the company that like changes that behavior. We, we always want to be there online for them when they're ready to buy, but we also be part of the, the traditional insole discovery process. So figuring out what stores are best for that is is something that we're doing now. But yeah, I think right now in the shorter term, pop-up is what we're focusing on and then eventually trying to think about expanding into drugstores or other types of retailers.
0: I love it. So before we hit the bookends, I've got like a quick rapid fire round for both of you. Not things that are core to the Fulton product, but that are tangential to it. So my first question for y'all is, If you could partner with a high-profile celebrity creator athlete to represent the Fulton brand, to rock the Fulton insole, who would they be?
2: That's a hard one.
1: Yeah. I think my take, I think it would be Serena Williams. Think about someone who has – taking care of their feet and used it to maximize their performance as a human. We know she wears orthotics. We know it helps her game and she is the most dominant athlete in history. So I think she would be an amazing spokesperson for the brand. And honestly, I know she would love them because they're way better than any other orthotic on the market.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, Libby, do you have one or are you giving a, a plus one to Daniels?
2: I think my answer to that would be Olivia Wilde. She, first of all, is super cool, which Fulton is trying to be. And she's also a New Yorker, and, and that's a big thing for us. And then she also cares deeply about sustainability. And, and as we sort of touched upon, that's a big important factor for Fulton is, is sustainability. And I think so because of that, she really would represent the brand in, in a lot of ways.
0: Love that. Serena and Olivia X fulton coming in hot. Love it. <laughs> The second question is about the co-founder relationship. So, like, it's super interesting, especially this early, trying to nail down where both of y'all focus your time. How do you split responsibilities? So, my question for you is more around how y'all approached that process and that division. Was it established super early in how y'all were bringing this idea to life? Has it been an iterative process? What does that look like for both of you?
2: I think I think at the beginning we were both doing everything. Everything was so new and we needed we both needed to be there for every decision. We since then we've started splitting up work a bit more. I, I'm focusing more on marketing and Daniel's more on supply chains and, and operation. And I think that kind of fell naturally just based on our interests and backgrounds and, and skill set. But I'd say like relatively, maybe compared to most founders, we're both still pretty involved in each other's roles and responsibilities, which is good and bad. I think so early on, it is really important to have everyone involved in in these decisions, especially when things are so new. But it is also like just a lot of time that we spend working when we're not delegating as much as perhaps we should be.
0: That's a great answer. The third question I have is around this notion of the idea graveyard. And I think it's pretty unique because I can see both of y'all backgrounds are super entrepreneurial. I see Daniel had a startup before this. Both of y'all met at business school at Wharton, so I'm sure you're both not short of ideas. Mm -hmm. So my question for both of you is, what is one idea that you'd love to work on at some point when you have the time to do, but for now, Is just rotting away in your idea
2: graveyards. Mm. Millennial brooms and mops (laughs) is my idea. Interesting. Yes. So when I met Daniel, I pitched him all of these ideas about different. I I was really interested in like direct to consumer and thinking about how brands are so important. And one of them was millennial insoles and then one of them was millennial brooms. And I don't know if it's not going to revolutionize anyone's life. It's like a cool broom and a cool mop but the idea was validated actually a few days ago when i realized i didn't have a broom in my apartment i as i mentioned we just moved to new york and i was like wow i still don't know a single brand of brooms and i don't even know where to go about getting one i ended up like ordering one on target from some brand that i'd never heard of and basically went exclusively based on price because i had nothing else to Based my decision on. And similarly with mops. I don't really know about any mop brands except Swiffer Wet Jet, which isn't even a real mop. But yeah, I think if anyone listening would like to start that idea, I think it's, it's a great company.
0: Fulton Mops coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> Keep an eye out. <laughs> That's awesome. I was not expecting that at all, but it's so true. I could not tell you a single time that I felt deeply compelled to seek out a mop brand and you're like the Swiffer is not it's not it does not satisfy I think what I would assume is or should be the standard today that's really interesting (laughs) how about you you, Daniel?
1: When I first met Libby at and Welcome Weekend, I asked her, she told me she wanted too much fellowship. I said I did as well. And I asked her to pitch me some ideas. And that was the first one she pitched me. And I was like, I'm not the co-founder for that one, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but I do that's think awesome. it's a good idea. I, I really do. I couldn't agree more. Um, um, how about you? Yeah, f- from my point of view. So you saw I had a startup before. I, I think that's the one that I always still dream about going back to work on. We, we basically, we Worked with the bodegas in New York City to empower them to deliver convenience items in 15 minutes or less to consumers. And so basically built like a seamless where consumers would go on the computer, their phone and actually place an order. But the back end would be fulfilled by the stores on the corner, which were five minutes away, had all the inventory and in stock usually. And you're supporting like the local economy. And mm-hmm. we started that idea when I was in college. I was at NYU. And absolutely loved it, but it was back in twenty, I think fourteen, twenty fourteen, fifteen, and that was when GoPuff. if you ever heard of them? They had just raised their Series A. Now they've oh, raised, yeah. you know, over a billion, billion dollars. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a very different time back then, and even today in New York, I'm sure you see the proliferation of all these kind of GoPuff contests. Yes. That. Yeah, they're literally everywhere, but you know, I, I still stand by the fact that I don't really think their models are actually sustainable. I really think that you're never going to be able to get better than the store down the street. And so it was really just this idea that I, I look at all these other startups and I'm like, okay, sure, you can live off venture capital money. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the, the corner store is always going to be your best bet. Yeah,
0: because to, to your point, you look at Fridge No More and Gorillas. I believe they they. Provide their own courier infrastructure. Yep. Versus, hey, like you're a corner store and there is a potential, let's say, 40,000 customers within a, a five block radius or six block radius. Are you going to wait for someone to come pick it up? There's the the economics don't quite work. Yeah, that's interesting, dude. This yeah,
1: is, I, right. It's I like, like what you all these new startups are basically building bodegas that don't allow consumers to go in them. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, could that really make more sense than just having them be more empowered to deliver? And I think the answer is no. I think it remains to be seen as to what plays out and who gets acquired versus who falls goes out of business in that market. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I still stand by it. I just think that. Uh, the market's a very weird place when you talk about VC money and and Mm -hmm. who gets to pick winners or at least what that looks like in the short term.
0: Yep. All right, y'all. I'd love to roll up the red carpet. Are there any final Mm -hmm. call to actions, hiring needs, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think check out our website, walkfulton.com and our Instagram is at and we made a discount code for you listeners, which is goodhands10 for 10% off.
0: Let's go. (laughs) Hell yeah. Daniel, anything you want to leave?
1: Yeah, I think that is definitely my number one. Check out the (laughs) website. You you can definitely learn something. It's a really cool blog, a lot of really interesting content beyond just what we have talked about on the podcast. I'd also say look into Cork. I know we talked about it briefly, but you know, there's, it's such an incredible material. It's carbon negative to manufacture with. It's actually good for the cork trees to be harvested or else they will actually take in less CO2 from the environment, from the atmosphere, and they, they won't um, be able to live as long. So if you do have that idea that you're thinking about for maybe a consumer product or you're really curious uh, to just learn more, I would definitely look into cork and obviously Portugal as the place to, to do it.
0: I love it. First of all, thank you all for creating the code. I'm sure our listeners are going to deeply appreciate it. And then to both of you specifically, just hats off to taking the leap into this crazy thing that is entrepreneurship. Congrats on all of your early success and thank you both for coming on the show today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks awesome. so much, Peter. This is great.
0: All right, y'all. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bringing you another new episode next Tuesday.